0: This is Crane's Daily Gist. I'm Amy Guth. On this episode of the podcast, Bob Mariano, founder of Mariano's Grocery Stores, is getting back into the grocery game, planning to build a next generation store chain with a debut in Lincoln Park. We'll talk more about that story and others coming up on the podcast today. But first, this word from our sponsor. We're all navigating uncertain times. A big part of that includes concerns over financial security. At Chicago's bank, Wintrust is ready to help. Whether you're looking for refinance solutions to take advantage of low rates and reduce payments, or a personal or business account that offers 15 times the standard FDIC insurance, they've got you covered. We're in this together. We'll get through it together. Find a location to call at Wintrust.com slash find us. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Businesses looking for help in navigating the COVID-19 crisis should check out Small Business Lifeline, a new weekly podcast from Cranes. Every Thursday, the free Small Business Lifeline will offer expert advice and information on accessing needed resources during the crisis. Listen to Small Business Lifeline at chicagobusiness.com slash SBL. Chicago Mayor Lightfoot has been in office for a year, with no shortage of challenges facing the city or her administration in that time. Earlier today, I spoke with Crane's government reporter, A.D. Quigg, by phone about what leaders in the business community have to say about the mayor's performance and about what to expect in Lightfoot's second year. Here's our conversation.
1: Well, first of all, I can't believe that it's been a year. On one hand, it feels like 10 years. On the other hand, it's like, oh, that was just probably two weeks ago. But in the time of COVID, everything feels super scrambled in terms of time. So she's had a really interesting year. She came in, I don't want to say it was like a fluke election, but there were so many political stars that aligned in the right way to elect her that aren't even in the headlines anymore. So it was, she basically timed it perfectly, her campaign to attack Chicago's corruption. We were seeing a lot of federal raids on people, indictments, stuff like that. So she came in saying, you know, I'm a fresh face, fresh voice, former prosecutor, I can root out this corruption and I can bring emphasis back to um, lifting up Chicago's neighborhoods. I can bring back Chicago's population. I can attack corruption. I can get us back on the right track, clean up council, get all this stuff done. I'm a reformer. I'm smart. I'm quick. I know how to do this. Let's go. So now everything is all COVID all the time. And the demands of the business community are at the forefront as she's heading into the second year. So part of the thrust of this was let's find out how different he was Compared to Rom, and so I spoke to a bunch of different business leaders in Chicago, and their relationship is obviously like extremely important now because of COVID. And for the most part, she got passing grades from folks. I think the lowest grade I heard was maybe a C plus. And a lot of folks said she's popped tall on this COVID stuff. She's a very good listener, collaborator, but she's also no BS, won't pander, and does a pretty good job of bringing us all together, but also staying up front. Where she stands on things, and then going from there and figuring out how we can work together to get to a solution.
0: In your reporting, did you find a particular sector of industry leadership was more or less aligned with her than others?
1: Well, her biggest fan, I would argue, that isn't working actively in her administration, so like not her head of World Business Chicago or vice chair of World Business Chicago or her deputy mayor, who are all business type folks, but her biggest cheerleader kind of on the outside is the Illinois Restaurant Association, Sam Toya, who was also very close with Mayor Al Emanuel. So it was interesting talking to him about how they were similar and alike. But he says, you know, she really gets that restaurants are key to neighborhood survival, key to neighborhood revitalization. And they were very much on the same page in the past year about how can we use restaurants to reach the mayor's goal of boosting neighborhood business and boosting neighborhood economies to keep people in the place they were, to stop the outflow of folks leaving Chicago to the suburbs or leaving Chicago to go move south or to Indiana or Wisconsin. So they were very much on the same page. There were some people that I talked to that I expected would give her a lower grade that gave her a pretty high grade. <laughs> Jack Lavin from the Chicagoland Chamber of Commerce, Tony Trish from the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. So representing smallish businesses, retailers all over the city of Chicago. I thought they might give her lower marks because they have been butting heads with the mayor is one way to put it, or actively debating a number of workforce rules that are set to take effect in July. So one of them is the fair scheduling ordinance, which basically says employers have to give employees two weeks notice of a schedule change. And if their schedule shifts unexpectedly, they're owed basically a fee. They were hoping that Because of COVID, everything going crazy and being uncertain about even what the workforce might look like in July, they were hoping for a six-month delay. Um, They're also hoping for a six-month or year-long delay in the hike in the minimum wage at the city and state level, and they're getting neither. So I thought both of them would be slightly grumpier with her, but they both gave her passing grades and say, you know, she's done a good job of bringing us to the table. I feel like we have a seat at the table. We are not always getting what we want, but for the most part, we feel heard. And I think both of them were also probably happy to be included on the city's economic recovery task force. But one person who did give her pretty low marks was Howard Coleman, who we all knew in, around the manual administration was the head of 1871, the tech incubator. And he said Lightfoot has been dragged kicking and screaming back to discussions with Chicago's heads of giant companies, so the Boeing, the Abbott. McDonald's group on the big tech sector kind of taking shape and taking over Fulton market. He says, number one, she hasn't engaged with them as much as Ron had. And number two, she should be knocking on the doors of of big money companies to beg them to help the city kind of get back on its feet. And he thinks her, her neighborhood development emphasis and doubling down even in COVID is misguided because a lot of these small businesses that she's trying to prop up are destined to basically go under because this economic crisis is so harsh but he was really the only person I spoke to that gave her low marks. And even though a lot of business people went into the start of her administration, expecting all progressive, all tax raising, and expecting the boom of the city's budget burden to really land on their shoulders.
0: What I'm hearing is a lot of people were comparing her various skills of hers to various skills of ROMs. Was that something that was echoed throughout people that were weighing in on her?
1: Yeah. So Sam Toya mentioned this, but they. They're both very fast moving, quick mind, no BS, very straight to the point, very straightforward. Melody Hobson, who knew Emmanuel from his administration is now the vice chair of rural business Chicago, which is the city's basically convening of big CEOs, is one of the people that Lightfoot's administration is in most frequent talks with. And she said, I, I like Ron and Lori both. I see a lot of similarities as crazy as that sounds because she, Lori ran so hard against everything Ron stood for. Both are, the way Hobson put it, right between your eyes, never minced a word. You knew where they both stood. Very direct. People always think of politicians as people who tell you what you want to hear, clad-handing. Neither of them are like that. They expect you to do the work. Ron used to be the type to call on weekends and kind of dole out assignments. <laughs> she said he wouldn't ask if I had the time. It was just like, I need this. I need it by tomorrow. And Melody Hobson, who was managing Billions of dollars that Aerial Investments just did. She's like, my plans are canceled for the day. There's a little bit of that there, giving assignments, but respectfully. And they give you assignments because they know you can handle it. And they expect you to do it because you're doing it in service of the city as a greater good. So both of them, both of them have that kind of direct, fast, I don't want to say in your face, but kind of in your face style. But both of them kind of have different, different aims to get to it. Bob Ryder, who's the head of the Chicago Federation of Labor, was another person that I was told liked but spoke to a lot when she was contemplating business issues or things that affected workers in the city. And he said, you know, she has this ability to think back to her childhood as a poor kid growing up in Ohio, um, watching both of her parents work multiple jobs and struggle and try to raise their siblings, but also the success that she's experienced in big law in Chicago, defending and helping businesses mediate and kind of her ability to move to both worlds and understand where both sides are coming from makes for an interesting convener. She knows how to speak to both sides of that room. So she cares very much about workers, but also totally understands uh, that businesses need to thrive and survive. So it, it, it was really interesting talking to people about her approach and the way she's different and similar to Ron, but in ways she has a distinctly different upbringing and how she brings that to like, the negotiating table.
0: At chicagobusiness.com, you have kind of a timeline. And, you know, she's had a very busy year, no doubt. There's oh been a God. lot of things. Yeah. We're talking police superintendent, Deddy Johnson, fired. We have a teacher's strike. We have, I mean, fair work week ordinance. So many things kind of right out of the gate, too, for her. And then now we have COVID. What will you be looking at most looking ahead to year two for her?
1: Oof. I think public safety was something that she ran on hard. She was the head of the police accountability task force, head of the police board. The way that I got to know her was from covering her on police reform issues throughout the last few years around Manuel's tenure. I will be interested to see how her new superintendent does, David Brown, former Dallas chief, how close they get in following the consent decree that the Chicago Police Department is under, how this summer's violence turns out, how her economic recovery task force, which has like a 100 people on it, uh, what kinds of industry-specific openings they come up with and how she continues to handle, my colleague Greg Hyden wrote about this this week, how she balances the tough meme watchful Lightfoot who is watching you try to leave your house and try to go have fun and then go back inside, how she kind of balances this growing desire to get outside and open things up with the public health data that I know she and her health team are looking at every day. Because this reopening and the possible pop-up of other cases in the fall or winter it's going to be in the back of her mind and the front of her mind for months and months to come. I think her whole second year will likely be colored by COVID response. So I'll be watching that. And then how she handles, how she continues to handle the city council. Uh, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago about she's got this shifting majority that is working so far, but there are a lot of aldermen who feel very left out of this recovery conversation. We'll see if they start to coalesce and if there's a significant group of no's that begin organizing and pushing back on her. And then how she tries to work in, work back in the things that she ran on. So ethics, accountability, and aldermanic prerogative, if she can find the time and bandwidth to kind of get this back on the agenda and keep chipping away at the stuff that she ran on, which was accountability and anti-corruption stuff.
0: Indeed. Well, a lot there. And we'll be looking to you as the second year unfolds. Thanks so much for joining today. Thank you. Coming up, Michael Jordan sneakers sell for a record $560,000 at Sotheby's, despite an earlier estimate from the auction house that the shoes would fetch around $150,000. We'll take a look at that story and many others right after this. For a daily roundup of stories about how the coronavirus outbreak is impacting business and the economy, sign up for our free newsletter at chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update. All one word. The paywall has been dropped for all coronavirus stories at chicagobusiness.com, but we do encourage you to consider subscribing to support our journalism. And if you receive cranes in print at the office and are missing it while working from home, you can always access the electronic edition anytime at chicagobusiness.com dot com slash digital edition. Again, that's chicagobusiness.com slash coronavirus update for the free newsletter and chicagobusiness.com slash digital edition. So you don't miss a thing from the print edition while you're working from home. Mariano's grocery store founder, Bob Mariano, is returning to the industry with a $10 million investment to create a new chain aimed at combining shopping, restaurant dining, and home delivery. The new venture, called Dom's Market and Kitchen, is planned for a March 2021 debut in Lincoln Park. According to a statement from the new company, the small format store will offer specialty food as well as both take-home and dine-in meals prepared in an open kitchen. Groceries and meal kits will also be available for delivery. It also said that after the launch of the Lincoln Park spot, it plans to add other locations focusing on urban neighborhoods. The $10 million investment was funded by two Chicago-based venture capital firms, Valor Siren Ventures and Cleveland Avenue. Cleveland Avenue is led by former McDonald's CEO Don Thompson, a major investor in Beyond Meat and Farmer's Fridge, which is also local. For the venture, Mariano is partnering with other industry veterans, Jay Owen and Don Fitzgerald. Owen is the grandson of Dominic's founder, Dominic DiMatteo, and Fitzgerald Was a former executive at Roundy's alongside Mariano, who was CEO and chairman of the Milwaukee-based company before Kroger acquired it in 2015. Mariano retired a year later. Dominic's closed in 2013 after it struggled to compete with Amazon-owned Whole Foods. Mariano was able to correct the mistakes made at Dominic's with Mariano's Fresh Markets. The 41 stores around the Chicago area initially featured upscale dining options like oyster bars, live piano players, and wine tastings. But Mariano's stores have faced mounting customer criticism in recent years with Kroger making changes like introducing more private label brands, increasing the number of self-checkout lanes, and doing away with those upscale shopping upgrades. Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund said last month that it was looking into any opportunity arising from the economic wreckage of the coronavirus crisis, and a regulatory filing late last week shows how the fund spent billions of dollars this year on stocks. The $320 billion public investment fund, which until a handful of years ago was a holding company for government stakes in domestic businesses, disclosed a nearly $830 million stake in BP, an almost $714 million investment in Boeing, and more than $520 million positions in both Citigroup and Facebook at the end of the first quarter. Other bets include nearly $500 million on Walt Disney and just over $487 million on Bank of America. The fund's governor said at a virtual event last month that the public investment fund is looking into, quote, any opportunity arising from the economic crisis. The fund expects to see a lot of opportunities, he predicted at the time, citing airlines, energy, and entertainment companies as examples. Other holdings described by the fund include a more than $513 million investment in Marriott Hotels, which is even greater than the fund's previously disclosed wager on cruise operator Carnival. Similarly, the fund grabbed a $416 million plus stake in concert promoter Live Nation. But wait, as they say, there's more. The fund also amassed shares of Canadian oil sands players Suncor Energy and Canadian Natural Resources, on top of investments that previously emerged. In in Equinor, Royal Dutch Shell, and others. The regulatory filing disclosed by the fund held almost 10 billion of U.S. equities, including an approximately $2 billion position in Uber. But backing way up, this kind of bargain hunting is a pretty big contrast with retreats by the likes of Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, which previously announced a full exit from investments in four major U.S. airlines. On Friday, Berkshire also disclosed that it had sold off most of a long-time investment in Goldman Sachs and trim stakes in companies including JP Morgan Chase. Coincidentally, the public investment fund also bought a 78.4 million dollar stake in Berkshire as well. JCPenney department store chain, which filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on Friday, said it'll close about 29% of its stores. The retailer will reduce store count to about 600, down from the nearly 850 that it currently has across the country, as well as close two distribution centers. That, according to a company filing earlier today. In fiscal year 2019, those locations brought in $9.2 in net sales. With the smaller store fleet, it expects net sales of $7.5 billion. The company Filing said the remaining stores, which made up 82% of net fiscal 2019 sales, represent the highest sales-generating, most profitable, and most productive stores in the network. The filing also said that 192 store closures would take place in fiscal year 2020, with the closing and sale of 50 more company-owned stores the following year. The company is currently in the process of determining when and which stores will be closed. But like most of its department store peers, JCPenney has also been challenged by falling traffic as more people shift to online shopping, a trend that's been pretty rapidly accelerated by the coronavirus pandemic that led to mass shutdowns across many industries, including retail. And while it scales down its physical locations, JCPenney said it aims to make e-commerce sales more than a quarter of its total sales. It has plans to grow that portion by 2.3 billion by fiscal year 2024, up from 1.5 billion in fiscal 2019. For now, investors looking to hear more from the company about its business plan will have to wait. The company's annual meeting that was set to take place later this week has been postponed, and the company has not yet made a new date available. In one final story for today, the last two episodes of ESPN documentary The Last Dance aired last night, and Michael Jordan was trending again on Twitter, like he has pretty much every week since the docuseries started, with about 6 million viewers tuning in weekly for the show. But one piece of Michael Jordan news that might have comparatively flown under the radar is a pair of Michael Jordan's game-worn Nikes from 1985 sold for a record $560,000 over the weekend, which is almost four times the initial estimate for the autographed shoe. Shoes, and breaking the world auction record for sneakers, that according to auction house Sotheby's. Bidding for the Air Jordan 1s, custom made for the Hall of Famer in sizes 13 and 13 and a half in the Chicago Bulls colors, started more than a week ago in New York. Sotheby's said 10 bidders from around the world competed for the shoes before the online auction closed. Sotheby's, which held an earlier record for sneakers at auction with just over 437,000 paid for Nike's Moon shoe last year, said this pair of Michael Jordan shoes came from the Collection of Jordan Geller, a collector and founder of The Shoe the world's first sneaker museum. Until tomorrow, that's all for Crane's Daily Gist. Thank you to producer Heima Black and to today's guest, A.D. Quigg. Find the latest breaking business news, analysis, data, and lots more at chicagobusiness.com. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue the conversation there about these and other business stories most on your mind. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here tomorrow.